The opinions expressed on Tomahawk Talk do not reflect that of WVFS Tallahassee. From the highest point of Florida State's campus and the hottest room in Seminole Sports, this is Tomahawk Talk. We are live on 89.7 FM here in Tallahassee and streaming online at wvfs.fsu.edu and are also on air locally on 89.7 FM here in Tallahassee, Florida. If you'd like to call on the show, feel free to dial us up at 850-644-3871. And as always, if you miss this show or any other future show, you can always go back and listen to us on Tomahawk Talk Podcast. Available anywhere you get your podcasts at. Be sure to like and subscribe to the entire VD9 Podcast Network while you're at it, and we will greatly appreciate that. I'm your host for the night, Gabe Tisnes. Our regular host, Luke Hazen, is unable to come in tonight, so hopefully I'll only have to keep Luke's seat warm for a week. As unfortunate as it is that he's not here, and I truly do mean that because, I mean, there's a lot to talk about, and I know he has a lot of opinions on what's going on right now in the world of sports. Um, yeah, I'm going to be trying to take it all in because I'm usually the co-host, but being on the, on the host share, it's, it's surreal to me. It's such an incredible opportunity. Obviously, it's just going to be for a week, hopefully, but <laughs> either way, we're going to try to keep the ship, the ship afloat for now. Uh, hopefully, I don't ramble too much. Um, we will be unpacking Florida State's monumental meltdown, what fans can expect going forward, week one of the NFL season, and more. But first, I am joined by the legend himself, oh, Rutherford. Brad, how are you feeling after a sports-filled weekend? It, it was a long weekend, another full slate of college football, followed by a full slate of NFL football on Sunday and some Premier League and F1 mixed in there as well. It was a really, really fun weekend. So and much. I thought I was out of the co-host chair for a while. I did it for, you know, sometimes through the summer, then was back for a couple weeks on the panel. and then. Uh, but it feels good to be back, and I'm, I'm really happy to be here alongside you, Gabe, and it's going to be a really fun show. Oh, man, I'm so happy that you're here to kind of help me go through this, this uh, little experience that we're going to have. But <laughs> you're not the only one here tonight. We also have Sebastian Angel Rihanna in the studio with us, as always, our fifth man usually. Um, he'll appear hopefully later down the show so he doesn't get to, you know, kind of have to. He too is dodging this Florida yeah. State uh, JSU talk. He doesn't have to re relive the pain of Saturday night. But also joining us on the panel tonight is our trusty veteran, Matt Potak, who's making his first in-person appearance in a few months. Welcome back, Matt. Oh, hey, thanks for having me, guys. It's it's a pleasure. It's always a privilege coming on here, talking some sports with y'all, and uh, I think we got a lot of sports to talk about this weekend. Oh, man, you are so right, sir. When was the last time you were here? Oh, it's beginning of summer. It's been it's been a whole it's summer without it. I've been missing it. Yeah, it's crazy. Um, but as happy as I am to have Matt back on the studio, I'm just excited to welcome in new faces to the station, like William Haynes, who's making his debut appearance on the show. Welcome, William. How are you doing? Good. It's great to be here. Uh, this is my first semester here at the station. I'm a sophomore here at FSU. I'm excited to be part of the WVFS family and uh, happy to be here talking ball with you guys today. We've got a great show lined up. William's a sophomore, correct? Yes, that's yeah. right. So hopefully we'll have him in for a little bit of time. Um, it's, it's just awesome to be able to see new faces in the studio um, the station's been trying to regroup from the pandemic and all that, so finally get to, to hear some new voices, some, some new perspectives on in the world of sports. And, of course, we have Scott Clemens on the ones and twos in the production booth. Shout out to him. So, guys, let's just get into it. FSU football. Week two against JSU at home. Obviously, they went in there and, and took care of business, but uh, no, that's not what happened, though. No. They lost 20-17. to 17. They... JSU didn't even bother kicking the, the extra point because they were so good. But anyways, uh, yeah, where do we even start, guys? I mean, it's just 
so much to unpack here, right, Brett? I, I just have to say, I'm, I'm always, I enjoy a little bit of Schadenfreude here and there. Whenever the Gators lose or Miami lose, and they've had some losing seasons in re- previous years, and it seemed like Florida State, even in the worst of years, was immune to stuff like that. Then they obviously go with three and six last year, start the year off 0 and 1, lose their fourth or fifth straight season opener. Uh, and there were so many times where he kept saying, this is rock bottom for this program. This is rock bottom. You know, at, at one point it was, uh, you know, losing so badly to Miami last year, which I didn't think was rock bottom. But then this was really rock bottom. They've never lost to a program of this stature. I, I, I read once they lost to William & Mary back in like the 60s. But that, there, at that point there wasn't even an FBS, FCS, like separation. It was all just one division. Uh, so this was really... Uh, really different than so in, like JSU they came into Tallahassee last year went up 21-7 at one point and Florida State ended up coming back to win that game comfortably but to see them Florida State play poorly that wasn't shocking but to see them play poorly enough to where Jacksonville State had a chance to win it on the last play and did um, it, it was shocking it was truly truly shocking yeah I was up in the booth uh, covering the game for the FSU FSU's newspaper and man you could just feel the atmosphere on the stands, but also in the booth. And you could just kind of hear the papers shredding as all the reporters had to start over because the story the next morning was not going to be, oh, FSU barely beat JSU or FSU struggles and, you know, maybe they're not going to be a bowl team. No, there is a complete new story heading into the, the rest of the season. I, I've got to ask you real quick. Yeah. I know in the press box, you know, you're not fans up there. You nope. are working up there covering the game. Unbiased. But, but knowing the Florida State media, people on the Florida State beat, a lot of the people on the beat and a lot of people that cover this team are very close to this school. A lot of them are alum, most of them like you or a current student. Was there any, and I think it's okay to admit this, <laughs> was there any audible reaction to, to the, that last play? I mean, my heart started crying. <laughs> so, yeah, I got to say, you could you could see some people shaking their heads vis- visibly and just headbutting the the table. I know Sebastian was was pretty visible of that. And, I mean, know. one of the lasting images from this from that game because I was not there. I watched mm-hmm. it at home. Was when ACC Network cut back to the studio and EJ Manuel's on the verge of tears, <laughs> watching what happened from that studio. And man, it's like I know for even people that are in these professional situations. Even people that aren't Florida State fans, it's really hard to see this program, especially a week after these tributes to Bobby Bowden. We know everything that he did to build this program up, to see them hit this low. It was just, it was it was heart-wrenching. I think for people that even aren't fans of Florida State, well, maybe, maybe not Gator fans or Miami fans, maybe they, they, they indulged in some schadenfreude as well on Saturday, but it was, it was hard. Yeah, it's, a, it's incredible how much a week, what, what a difference it makes. And, and you know, kind of uh, going into like the last play, we'll, we'll talk about that later, but even before the play, like you have one idea of what's going to happen, and then one play later, it's a completely different story. Matt, were you at the game? Yeah, I was there, and what I'll just say is I think what makes it worse is you thought FSU might have rounded the corner, had taken a couple steps forward against Notre Dame. You saw them have that resilience and fight back, and where we took a couple steps forward, the Jacksonville State game was a whole leap backwards. We reverted back to our old selves. Uh, I think we had 11 penalties in the game. Uh, It looked like a Willie Taggart coach discipline team, honestly, but it it was – it's a – it's a gut punch after the first performance they put up this season, which I thought was great and showed a lot of effort to then have such a lackluster effort in this one. Yeah, I mean, last week I was out here calling for a bowl game, and Brett was saying, no, 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 <laughs> too quickly. I warned you. He, he sure did. Um, William, you got any thoughts on the game? Brett brought it up. This Florida State team took a 14 nothing deficit 
to Jacksonville State last year right out of the gate. They started Tate Rodemaker at quarterback, trying to get the freshmen some experience instead of just going veterans and, and the whole game plan out of the gate. And what I think is so surprising is instead of learning from the mistake they made last year, they really did the same thing again. I think they took this game too lightly going into Saturday night. You look at the second series play calling, I think for mm-hmm. a lot of people's liking, a little bit too cute there trying to work in both quarterbacks uh, with Milton and Travis and going back and forth between the two instead of just having a consistent approach. I think if they had stuck with what they had done on the first drive, they would have found a lot more success early on. The general third down approach I thought was weak, just going, you know, four verticals, uh, throwing it up to wide receivers in double coverage down the sideline. And uh, playing some backups, especially on defense, out of the gate, guys like Jones and Dotson, they couldn't hang in man coverage. There was a lot of uh, pass interference, and it really cost them. William, you bring up a great point because these games, these FCS games, they're a great opportunity usually to try some new things, to make some new things into your offense. But to do that, you've got to get up to these big leads first. The way Florida State played in the first quarter, it was like they were already up four scores. And then they were never able to really snap back into it. And maybe it's just because they're not good enough yet uh, to, to take control of that game, to build a multi-score lead, and to, and to really put this game out of reach. And it really came back to bite them. That, I think if, you look, if you're questioning the coaching staff and, and some of the decisions that were made in this game, I know we're going we're gonna to talk about that last play in just a little bit, but the, the, the decision to, to, to be too cute, like you said, with the offense that early in the game really, really cost them. Yeah, I mean, just the decision to start uh, Mackenzie Milton. It was a little bit shocking to some people after Jordan Travis you know, he didn't excel against the, the Notre Dame defense, but he definitely put up a fight. He put them uh, in a position to win, and, and, you know, Milton starts the game, and it seems like he's got a man right open, almost in the end zone, and he drops it. Keyshawn Helton drops that easy touchdown, and that kind of set the tone for the offense going forward. It didn't seem like they were able to kind of snap out of it and, and, and actually get into a rhythm. The rushing game, obviously, once again, was their forte. But Mackenzie Milton struggled to pass the ball, and I'm not going to blame him for, for all that, but it definitely seemed like he wasn't as sharp as we expected him to be after that, the, those first couple of drives where he took over in last game. Matt, did you think that Milne was the deserved start of this this week? I think after the performance he put up against Notre Dame at the end of the game, I think you had to almost give him a nod and kind of acknowledge, hey, you know, you played great, you deserve this. And it was almost a test run to see, hey, can he do this for the full game? And he kind of showed that he, you know, he can't do everything we thought he could do. Um, I think... A lot of it can be attributed to drop passes. As you said, Keyshawn Hilton dropped an open touchdown. Um, open. There were yeah. many other drops, which it's it's hard to put that on Milton, but it also comes down to is he putting the pass where it needs to be. Uh, back to your question, I think he deserved the starting spot, but he didn't wow me. I think, I think he deserves to keep the starting spot, but he definitely needs to pick it up. Yeah, I mean – I, I wanted to see him after after the last couple of drives in the first game. I was like, I've seen enough. And, and even going into the season, most of us expected him to start. So it's not crazy. I did too. I mean, yeah. going into the season, but after week one and what we saw, mm-hmm. and let me, I didn't mean to cut you off, but no. let, let me let me ask you guys this. You have a quarterback that hasn't started a game in over three years that almost lost his leg due from one of the nastiest injuries I've ever seen live. You have maybe the worst receiving core that Florida State's had in a decade or more, maybe. And you've got an offensive line that still can't pass block. Does that sound like a recipe for success for a team that is trying to come out and play a passing first game? When they had success with the run against Notre Dame, that's the only reason they stayed in that game. They had explosive plays. You had Travis on the field that kept the defense honest. And they completely abandoned that this week. Man, you know, the offensive line is such an interesting case because – 
I've seen them pass protect, but I think what they really struggle with are the penalties. And, and that doesn't really have to do with what they actually do when it comes to, to the play happening. It's more so what happens before the play starts. And it's something really hard to, to, to fix. I guess it comes down to coaching. And we'll talk about how Mike Norvell didn't really do his best this week. But, but I, I think the, the passing game should have been, frankly, better. Like, there's no excuse to say that against JSU, you, you don't start Milton because you don't have the, the weapons or the, or the protection needed. Um, William, what do, you, what do you think? I think with the, the discipline and execution issues that this team had, there is equal blame with the players and the coaches. You want to talk about uh, the coaching decisions? There were some head scratchers, as I mentioned earlier, the, uh, just, just some weak play calls on third down along where they're just throwing it up into, into double coverage, not really giving yourself much, much of a chance. They had a guy open on that first drive, Helton, that dropped that pass on that fourth down, and then since then really was not able to rep- replicate that. The flip-flopping of the quarterbacks, not giving yourself the, the, really the best chance uh, to get some, some points on the board early. We saw after that second drive, or maybe it was the third drive, that really blew up, bouncing back and forth. Between the two quarterbacks, we saw Norvell uh, pull, pull the two signal callers to the sideline, and you could tell based on the rest of the game that he, Norvell just told Milton that he was going to be the guy moving forward. Not sure why that couldn't have just been done going into the game. I, I think you're best <laughs> off just picking your man and sticking with him. And then really some other things with, with the coaching that, that was, was glaring to me. Too much Lawrence Tuafili for me late in the game. Uh, they had a guy, Jay Sean Corbin, who had mm-hmm. 100 yards, I think, in the first half, averaging 10 yards a carry. You had a guy in Treshawn Ward, who I think is maybe uh, the future of this position group. But instead, with a one possession lead in the fourth quarter, you're, you're giving handoffs to a guy that, that's probably your third string running back. He was not a difference maker. He was not shifty or elusive like the other backs. And then, of course, the, the defensive play calling and execution on the, on the final drive. It, it's really frustrating. Yeah, well, we'll get to the play in just a little bit. But I just want to touch on the offensive line. Dante Lucas, one of our starters, or Florida State starters, sorry. He just entered the transfer portal today. So... If the offensive line was already struggling, I can't imagine what FSU is going to put up against Wake Forest. And also, against JSU, their center, I believe, was missing. So maybe that had some, something to do with it. But either way, going, going back into uh, uh, yeah, the play, the, there's been a lot said. Everyone has seen it, I think. I've seen it way too many times. I, there's no excuse. There's no excuse. And I've seen the, the post-game press conferences. I've seen... The defensive coordinator talked today, and Norvell apologized. The defensive coordinator, not so much. Uh, there's just not much you can say about it other than, like, how does this happen? And, and, and is, it, is it really a matter of, like, the coaching being this bad and not really understanding the, the situation at hand? Or did the players just not have the, the motivation and the, the drive to actually do something about it? I went into this season with some doubts about this coaching staff. I, I, I've always doubted that they maybe aren't the coaching staff to get Florida State back to eventually where they want to be, which is competing for national championships. And that's a, that's a tall task for anyone, uh, but for this coaching staff. But I still like them, and I still thought they were the right group at the right time when Florida State had to make these hires to get them on the right track again. Now, after this week, I'm seriously doubting that. And, and Adam Fuller, coming off a really poor season for his defense last year, you can't have mistakes like that, and there's only so much we can talk about it, right? We know what should have happened. We, I mean, we can tell. We like we can't go on for 20 minutes and say, "Well, they should have played prevent defense." That takes about 10 seconds to say, and so there really is no excuse for Adam Fuller or this defense. Just a lack of a, la- a lack of awareness and a lack of fundamental football knowledge. And I think Florida State 
you you really think a program that's coming off a three and six season, there's no such thing as a look ahead game. But man, you, this is coming off a celebrated loss. They, they, these guys, and, and, and I loved watching that Notre Dame game. It was a fun game, and I came away with a lot of positives. But, man, this team is not yet ready to win football games. William, I was going to also mention, I completely agree on the, the Corbin thing. I saw he had 100 yards by halftime. And then I see Toa Fili come in the game repeatedly after his, his runs weren't really going anywhere. And I just kept on questioning to myself, why is this? Why, where, where did Corbin go? Maybe, maybe he got nicked up, but after the game, he said nothing was wrong with him. And so I think the, the, co- the coaching staff loved Toa Fili. He had a good freshman debut last year. Uh, but obviously it, it wasn't his night, so we don't know what's going to happen with the with the running game going forward. I want to get your thoughts on the last play, though. Do you think this this is all Norvell, or is it who, – who do we blame here? Well, Norvell was asked about it after the game. His his answer that he gave in the press conference was that they, they had a two-man under defense. Their goal was to get some pressure on the quarterback. They had it that a four-man front uh, rushing on the defensive line. And you saw it on that play, uh, the Jacksonville State quarterback, Cooper. He couldn't even get it all the way down the field. So it makes sense uh, to, to, to not even give him time to wind up. Uh, but... Uh, some people that saw in film, it wasn't even two man under. They went single high safety. So a play that really should have been prevent where you have two, maybe even three safeties towards the goal line. They only have one high safety. And cornerbacks that struggled all night on one-on-one man-to-man coverage, they fell short as they had the whole game. Yeah, and it's not the first time that they've struggled with playing the ball. We saw last last week against Notre Dame, uh, I think it was number 18, I forgot his name, but he struggled with uh, catching the end zone where, where he was literally right by, by the receiver, and he, he let him get it somehow. Maybe just bad luck right there. But anyway, Matt, going forward, what can Seminole fans expect out of this season and this coaching staff? Well, I think this season, as we all know, coming into it, wasn't we weren't going for anything big. You know, we were hoping maybe for a bowl game. It looks like that might not happen now. Um, I think we have a chance to build our program from the bottom up. It's like we said, we're, we're hit the bottom. Um, Another one. To an first FCS loss in history. We're or FSU's hitting the bottom, um, and I think we just got to start building up. Uh, We've seen potential in games like Notre Dame where we're able to put it together. Uh, we just have to work on consistency on that. And uh, quick little thing I wanted to say about the last play is I don't understand the coach's uh, attempt to justify their play call. There's absolutely no way you shouldn't be in prevent defense at that point. Um, there's six seconds, even if he catches the ball and gets down, they don't have time to call a timeout. He caught the ball with zero seconds left. Um there's absolutely no excuse for that play call, uh, but that's I just had to get that off my yeah, chest. Yeah, no, I think it speaks to the arrogance that still kind of lingers around in this football program. We've obviously seen multiple coaches come in and out, and, and that was one of the issues. And so with Norvell, a lot of Seminole supporters expected it to kind of go back to, okay, you got to earn everything you have. you got to earn every snap, but it doesn't seem like it. that's the case, or at least they, they still look down on inferior opponents even though they're not so inferior. Um yeah, man, I, I don't know what to say other than, like, this season the expectations have been up and down, and, and maybe Notre Dame was actually this year's UNC game. But maybe I'm wrong. Maybe maybe Wake Forest will prove a, prove some of the supporters differently. I'll, I'll get to this maybe when I, when I give out my, my quick picks, my pizza picks uh, in a little bit. Um, but I, I will say this about the situation. Mike Norvell, uh, unless there's any questions of character or any – other scandalous ongoings, which I don't anticipate. Um, 
he will not be fired this year. Some of his coaches, some of his assistant coaches, I think, will be fired. And I think Adam Fuller might be first on that list. Um, he will not be fired. No matter, they could go 1-11, because I still think there's a win on the schedule in, in UMass. But, I mean, I guess who knows at this point. Uh, hmm. But you, if the, the day when the day comes that he is fired, which happens to most coaches, or he does leave Florida State, whether that be two, three, four years from now, uh, I think you could point to this game as a catalyst. Because, again, he's not getting fired today. He's not getting fired in November. But if you follow the recruiting, and nothing's happened yet, if this recruiting class starts to fall apart, and he is not able to bring in a top 15, top 20 class for next year and really start this rebuild, that is going to be the long-term ramifications of this loss could be felt for years to the point where he is not able to get this program back on track, where he's competing for bowl games in and out every year and not getting them back to where they want to be. William? What I think is interesting, just how the, the Norvell staff is perceived compared to the last staff. Norvell right now is three and eight. That's his his record as the head coach of the Seminoles. He must go six and four the rest of the season to match Willie Taggart's nine and thirteen record. <laughs> that, that's a really good point. I, I've I've never been a fan of Willie Taggart, but I always got to say the man had some bad luck. He didn't come into the best situation. And the time bob that that he he inherited it was it was quite impressive. And so, I'm not going to get into any funny details or anything. But it's it's interesting to see how Mike Norvell has gotten a little bit more patience. And and once again, I'm not calling for his job. I really would like to see him have a fair shot. I don't really want to see another head coach in my, in my time here at Florida State, frankly. <laughs> but it does seem like. Uh, at some point, there there has to be some sort of accountability in the coaching department. But is there is there anything anything positive from this game that you guys think we Florida State fans can take away? Uh, Brady Scott got uh, got engaged after the game, and I, I, there was this really odd uh, discourse on Twitter this morning where like people were actually like ragging on this guy for getting like for proposing after a, a loss against an FCS school. It's like, yeah, sure, it's unfortunate timing. But I don't think he thought right around the fourth quarter, you know what, I'm gonna propose to my girlfriend here at the end of this game. I'm sure that was something that was planned. I'm probably weeks, maybe even months in advance, picked this game because there's no chance of really losing it. They end up do losing it, but uh, congratulations to Brady Scott and his fiance. Congrats indeed, Matt. Um I don't know if there is any positives in the run game. Uh, you know, Jishon Corbin looked great again. Sure did. Uh, and I think, uh, like you said, uh, Ward, um, he looks like he's promising. I, I, I don't, I don't have the animosity uh, towards Toa Feely's carries <laughs> that you guys do. I think he got. Uh, I think he has a lot of potential as well. I think the run running core for FSU is very strong. But but Matt, he's got that potential, and I would love to. I would have loved for him to get a lot of carries if we had had that game in the bag. But to have Jay Sean Corbin and, and Jordan Travis, maybe your two best playmakers on this roster, on the bench in, in the biggest moments of the game. I mean, that's just coaching malpractice. I agree. I, I think it really came down to FSU saw this game as, oh, we're kind of close, but hey, we're not going to lose this. Let's let's get these guys some some reps in. You know, uh, the mm -hmm. final play, uh, Brownlee and uh, Sidney Williams, they're two freshmen. The try they the two freshmen on the field at the last most important play of the game. What are, what are we doing? Tackle them. Who have played well? They've played well. I want to give yeah, them a lot of credit. I was going to say, and they should have never been in that position where they were the last two on the for goal sure, line. for sure, for sure. Two freshmen with potential, but. Well, nonetheless, they 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 messed up. But mm -hmm. I I just want to point out Jermaine Johnson. He had two and a half sacks. Once again, 
probably Florida State's best defensive player, maybe even overall player. Um, he has officially eclipsed the defensive end sack total for the whole 2020 season for the for the Seminoles. In just two games, this Georgia transfer has completely revitalized the the defensive line room. Uh, it's it's quite crazy to think what Florida State would be doing right now if it wasn't for him. But I think that's that's about all we got for <laughs> this cursed topic. Um, we can move on now to the rest of the college football landscape and where to, where to begin but with Oregon and Ohio State. Oregon stunning Ohio State. At, at Ohio State, it was quite impressive, quite shocking. Maybe not as much as JSU upsetting Florida State, but it was something that not many people expected. Any any of you have any quick takeaways? Ohio yeah. State was my pick to win the national title, yeah. and I think they still are going to have a chance. <laughs> I, st- I still think this is a good football team, a great football team, really. Um, but uh, they're going to have their hands full. They're going to have to win out. And it's still a really tough Big Ten conference. Penn State, Wisconsin, going to give them a run for their money, maybe even Michigan. Um, so, yeah, it was an interesting week. I just want to give props to that Oregon State offensive line. and Oregon. Uh, or Oregon, yeah. Oregon, Oregon State, I'm Oregon. sure fine this week. Yeah, my bad. Oregon offensive line and C.J. Verdell, uh, their running back who absolutely bullied Ohio State's defense. He had 20 carries, 161 yards. Yeah, no, it's a big win for Oregon. And the entire Pac-12, really, It's it's been a little bit since we've seen a Pac-12 team in the playoffs, but it kind of seems like this year might be it with Clemson. Uh, Ohio State, obviously, and you can even throw in Notre Dame if you want. They've not really gone off to the best start. Uh, William, do you think this is the year where the Pac-12 return to the playoffs? It certainly gives himself a good chance. I think in past years with the Pac-12, at least in the, in the playoff era, I know they had Washington that one year at the beginning. But outside of that, USC really has been, you know, year in and year out, all right, this is their chance to get into the playoff. They're, they were a top 15 team. They lose to Stanford. They just fired their coach. I think Oregon, this was finally a, a statement win uh, for their program under head coach Mario Cristobal. Uh, playmakers for Dell that they showed some really good stuff. Uh, UCLA is another team, the top 15, finding a, a, some footing underneath them with Chip Kelly. They're on a collision course later in the season. I think the winner of that game has a really legitimate chance to make the college football playoff. Yeah, UCLA upset LSU last week as well. So Pac-12 are kind of fighting back after there's been a lot of discourse regarding the, the future of college football. Um, Brett, we have to ask, are you going to win any pizza slices this week? Yeah, so Brett's quick picks. We'll do this real quick before the break. Uh, I'm 5-2 and two on the year on the football season, up 3.8 pizzas. We've got three more plays. I think Matt's got a special guest star play uh, to end this one, too. So I've got for tonight's Monday night football game, so you can call in your pizza order before the 8 o'clock kickoff. I've got Raiders plus four. Ravens are missing their uh, starting three running backs. Their offensive line's a little sketchy, and I, I think the Ravens at home in that new stadium are, are, are going to cover that four-point spread. I also have... Florida State plus six this weekend at Wake Forest. I think it's a huge bounce back spot for the Knolls. And, and I think uh, they're still ranked ahead of Wake Forest in Bill Connolly's SP plus rankings. And I don't think that's I think that six point spread's already moved a little bit. And then Texas AM minus 27 and a half. That's under four touchdowns against New Mexico, who's one of the worst teams in FBS. That's a two pizza play right there. We're going to try to go uh, to eight and two on the week and go up a bunch of pizzas. But Matt, two quick plays. What you got? Yeah, I'm sprinkling in uh, tonight. I got Raiders money line, I think, in the. Uh, uh, Death Star, uh, John John Gruden's going to come out with a win, and then uh, Rams minus four next week against. Uh, forgetting who they're playing, but Rams minus four. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty convincing, right there. I have to go with the Saints. Uh, not 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 biased or anything, but they're they're right now minus three against the Panthers. After what they did to the Packers, we'll get into that in the in the next uh, half of the show. But 
yeah, Houdat Nation, man. They have something to celebrate after so much, so much pain in the last couple of weeks. But we'll get into all that in the next half. Thank you so much for tuning in. Stay tuned. And we are back for the second half of the show. Thank you so much for tuning in to WFS Tallahassee. Once again, my name is Gabe Tissons, the interim sh- show host. <laughs> it's been a great, great time here talking with the guys, sports. But now we're going to tune in to NFL Week 1. It was quite the week opener for my favorite sports to watch. I got to say, there's nowhere else I'm going to start, but with the Saints and the Packers. Jameis Winston throwing in five touchdowns to surprise most people as the Packers didn't really seem like the team we saw them last season. So there's plenty to talk about here, but I'm just going to throw in my, my two cents. I've been calling it the whole offseason. Everyone thinks the Saints are not going to make the playoffs. Everyone's looking down upon them, and I know there's a lot of hate for the Saints, but i got to say, this team looks really good, really really solid. Uh, the offensive line is still one of the best in the, in the league. Champagne is still one of the best coaches in the league. Jameis looks like a really different quarterback. He looks like... He's he's trimmed down, and, and, you know, I called it as well a couple of months ago. The LASIK surgery changed him, or at least it was going to change him a little bit. And, you know, we don't really know what it is that, that actually helped him get back to this spot. Sebastian, I know you have a lot to say about the Saints, but... You know it probably helped? What? It probably helped that he had consistent coaching for two years. That is also true. That is something that he Sitting did not... Sitting behind Drew Brees, a, that sure helps. It's a luxury that he did not really have in Tampa, where, you know, they would pick a guy and chuck him within two years. I felt like every other year we had uh, they had a new coach. Well, you think about when they added Dirk Cutter to keep some offensive stability, but then it comes out that Dirk Cutter never even wanted Jameis in the first place. So he had so many coaches that didn't even want him as the starting quarterback. Additionally, something that makes me very upset, which is something a completely pedantic point about... Uh, Sunday's game was that he did have one interception that was waved off by a total crap. Uh, was that roughing. ball picked off? No, yeah, that ball was picked off. It was a great pick, too. Uh, terrible throw, kind of classic Jameis. Shown through, finally. It was like, oh, there's the Jameis I know and love. But um, that was waved off by an absolutely horrid roughing the bastard call. I know that makes me sound very petty, but that's how we do things in the NFC South. Um, on top of that, I do have to hand it to him. He he looks way more mature than he did uh, last year or the or any of at any point in his time in Tampa. Um, smart throws, like really really smart throws um, on a number of those drives. Uh, that was we we can't ignore the fact that that Saints team wasn't at a hundred percent. They're missing players, missing pieces. I believe Kamara was still out. Correct? No, he played. He played. Michael yeah. Thomas. Michael Thomas was Michael out. Michael Thomas was out. Yeah. Slam away. Um, couldn't hold yourself back. No, I couldn't. Uh, I'm pretty unashamed of that. The um, still, regardless, you get, with uh, one hand tied behind their their backs, they throttled uh, Green Bay. And I feel honestly like one thing I will say is that uh, I spoke to Brooks this morning about you know uh, the game after he had kind of finished mourning. But um, I do have like a. a his kind of take from the game, which I, I think actually puts the game in kind of perspective. Mm. And that's that he feels that Green Bay never had a chance to get in rhythm during uh, during the game at all. Uh, Aaron Rodgers looked rusty. It looked like his timing was horribly off uh, on most pass attempts. He just looked not look like himself at all. You know, for a future Hall of Famer, I would have expected OTAs not to be that big of a difference. But it clearly seemed to affect him in a little bit. Uh, the Saints, I, I got to give them a lot of credit, and obviously the Packers, they, they have some stuff going on there. But the Saints, they had a lot of things going against them. 
obviously we all know what ha- what's going on with New Orleans uh, right now, and, and Jameis kind of dedicated the win to them. So it's not Katrina or anything like that, but I just got to say it's really classy of him and the Saints to, to kind of put, put up this performance in, in such a timely fashion. Matt, William, what did you guys think about Jameis and the Saints? Oh, I love it. As a you know FSU student, you love seeing Jameis succeed. Um, I would more be more than happy to see him uh, tear apart the Buccaneers for years to come while he's on the Saints. Just, just. I mean, I say this because I think they threw him out there to the fire, and he got burnt, and they blamed him. They put all the blame in him, and shipped him off to New Orleans, and. Hope, hope, hoping to never be heard from again, and now he's back, and he's got a chance to fight for the division, which <laughs> I just love to see. I, <laughs> I thought I misheard you. There was there a little bit of really signal there for a second. <laughs> no, no. I mean, with that defense, you saw how good they looked, how much pressure they put on Rodgers. Um, they've, I, I mean, they've consi- gotten considerably better at the quarterback position. Drew Brees was not throwing the ball long anymore, and now Jameis can. They added another weapon onto an already stacked offense, and when Michael Thomas comes back, they're going to be even better. I was going to say, the, the offense was clearly different. Obviously, there's going to be a lot of similarities, but you could see that Jameis was able to throw the ball down the field in a way that Drew was not able to the last couple of years. And he, he doesn't even have the best supporting cast. Traquan Smith and Michael Thomas are not there. And speaking about the injuries, uh, Marshawn Lattimore, thumb injury, Marcus Davenport, uh, I think it was his pack. Uh, he might miss a couple of time, a little bit of time as well. William, is there anything about this game that uh, caught your eye? I think Sunday we got a glimpse into what Jameis Winston's future as a New Orleans Saint could be as more of a game manager. We've seen all across the NFL in week one, quarterbacks throwing the ball 50 times. Dak Prescott threw it 60 times in the season opener. That's what Jameis Winston was asked to do as a Tampa Bay Buccaneer, and mostly it did not work out, those five interception games that breaks the, the, the back of your team. He goes 14 for 20, doesn't even hit 150 yards, five touchdowns. You mentioned the supporting cast may be a bit shaky, but this is a team, they ran the ball 40 times. I think that's really that's what's best for Jameis Winston to succeed. He does have that big arm. He can make the throws when he needs to, but put him in more manageable positions. Don't make him drop back on third and long multiple times You know, in a drive, and uh, this is the feature of the Saints. Yeah, the running game is going to be the bread and butter, as it's kind of been the last couple of years for the Saints. Um, I don't want to fill us with Saints talk for the whole second half. So Yes, you do. You're taking your one week in the host chair and take the whole second half of the <laughs> no, Saints. Please, know for the love of God, put me out of my misery. I'm, I'm ready to move on. I'll, I'll talk about the Panthers if you really want. By the way, Sam Donald Did anybody watch that game? Good. I watched I that game. Uh-huh. Red zone. I, mean, I, I, game. I did have red zone on, but I don't remember a single thing from that game. I remember that the first touchdown pass in that game was from one ex-Jet to another ex-Jet. Mm. And I thought that was really funny. And it, it's funny. The second that you move more than 200 miles away from Adam Gase, you immediately become dramatically better as a football player. It's just coincidence. It's really surprising. Yeah. It's, it's honestly amazing. Somebody should kind of study that. But there was a lot. There was a lot. So now we're going to kind of shift into the Chiefs and the Browns. It was one of the, the most hyped-up games of Week 1. And obviously them clashing in the playoffs added a little bit to it. But just seeing Patrick Mahomes after the Super Bowl – it was, it was impressive. It was impressive to, to see him back to what he's best at. And I think he's unbeaten in September in his three years starting. It's quite remarkable what the Chiefs offense does at the start of the year. And I know there's two Bucks fans present right now, so I'm not sure if we're going to hear anything positive about the Chiefs. But the Browns, the Browns look really good. They actually, in my opinion, blew the game with, with a couple of mistakes in the fourth quarter. But Baker looked 
looked like a, a little bit different. He, he seemed to, to finally show more, more of a, a step up in the quarterback position for the Browns. So maybe they do have a shot going forward in, in, in January football. Sebastian? Uh, well, I actually don't have any slander, like a Mahomes slander loaded up. I, yeah, they were the clear second-best team in the NFL last year. That's a really great accomplishment. That, that, that is a great accomplishment, but I, I'm being actually genuine here. Um, every time I see that dude take the field, like yesterday was absolutely no exception. There are just times where you, where you kind of look at yourself and you go, why doesn't anybody catch him? And it's hard to disassociate yourself from that idea because nobody can, clearly. Where he will he will scamper out of any collapse pocket that you can throw at him, uh, you know he'll have uh, linebackers rushing him and he'll move twenty yards back and he'll throw up, uh, a yard for a gain of twenty. Uh, it truly it, he truly is a cheat code. If you know the EA Sports of old was still making Madden games in the same way, um, which I I mean they kind of are, but that's not the point. Uh, we would uh, like the second coming of um, Madden two thousand four Michael Vick. Would absolutely be Kyler Murray. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that dude was also he had a performing great black game magic out the on the field uh, against the Titans this week. Incredible stuff. Um, that uh, tit- uh, that Titans offensive line, by the way, complete mess. Five sacks allowed by the same dude. Jeez, they could not contain um, Chandler Jones. Chandler Jones. Three sacks in the first quarter. Uh, I mean, he had six on the day or five on the day. I'm not sure. That, that's like a quarter five. out of most. Yeah, that's that's like 25% of like the leading sackers. Come on, Taylor Lewan. Yeah. It's too much time podcast. Ridiculous stuff. Um, I, it was really awesome to see what Patrick Mahomes could do again. I mean, the last or lasting memory is, you know, him getting shut down by the Bucks defense. Um, so it was really great to see what he could do against a non-Bucks defense. But I think this game, that was my last knock on Patrick Mahomes, <laughs> which, who, again, I do have a lot of respect for. Uh, that was um, this, te- this game told us a lot more about the Browns than it did the Chiefs. We knew the I Chiefs agree. were capable of this. The Browns, they played, they took, they were toe-to-toe against them in the playoffs last year. They matched that and then some, I think, this year. And like you said, a few key mistakes. If they erase those, they win that football game. They're a good enough team to overthrow the Chiefs in the AFC this year. I don't, I'm not saying they will, but we have, they have the talent. They have, they the, have talent. the tools in place. That they just got to put it all together. So I think week one, if you're the Browns, I know it's a tough loss. You have to be really optimistic about the rest on of On the, the road. On the road as yeah. well. And not an easy place to play. But I think where I disagree is, is in the coaching. The coaching seems to be still where the Chiefs have a clear advantage over most teams, especially the Browns. And I know that, that the Browns coach has, has come in and, and fixed things that most people have not been able to for decades. So props to him. But there still seems to be a lot of experience where, where the Chiefs are uh, uh, not a mile away anymore, but still a little bit on top over most teams. Um, and... Yeah, William. I thought Cleveland's approach was really interesting in this game. For Florida State, we talked about the lack of an effective game plan. I thought Kevin Stefanski and the Browns put together a really good plan. They came into Arrowhead, and they punched the Chiefs in the mouth. They went 13 plays, 75 yards in seven minutes for the the touchdown on the opening drive. They also went for the two-point conversion. They had this Chiefs team dead to rights. They were up 22-10. to They ran for about six yards per carry. They had Baker Mayfield and that game manager role. I think this really just says more about the Chiefs than anything, that there is no lead too big uh, that this Chiefs team and Patrick Mahomes can't come back from. Yeah, uh, Patrick Mahomes is worth that $500 million that he was given. Uh, it's it, Watching him play is like watching the Mona Lisa get painted. It's, it's beautiful. It's art in motion. I don't know what else to say about it, but it's just he's, he's, he's on another level. 
think my takeaway with, with Pat is that I, I just expect it out of him. I'm always looking for the, the 353 touchdown, no interception stat line. And when I don't see it, that's when I panic. That's when I'm saying to myself, is he actually human? And that's something you say about the greats, about Messi, about Brady, about whoever it is. Um, just kind of wrapping up, the Browns have a clear identity. So in that, I give them a lot of props. I, I give them a shot in January, but I still don't think they are the best team. Maybe the second best team. We'll have to see what the Ravens have to say as they face the Raiders tonight. Uh, it's going to be interesting because they, they obviously lost Jake and Dobbins and Gus Edwards, two really important pieces in that offense. They, they signed Latavius Murray, a former Saint. And I've not always loved Latavius, but I got to say, he is quite the, the replacement piece for that offense. So I, I don't think the Browns have the, the AFC North locked up just yet, but they seem to be the clear favorites going forward. But speaking of another really tough division, the AFC East, Tua against Mac Jones week one. That was popcorn just, just from that. But even then, the Patriots and the Dolphins, they, they always have that, that really interesting rivalry. The, the Dolphins got the best of it. And it's week one, so we are always going to say, oh, Bill Belichick's team starts slow. This is not surprising. William, what was your takeaway from this game? Mac, Mac Jones threw the ball 40 times. I ultimately don't think that's what Bill Belichick wants his rookie quarterback to be doing. They were thrust into that position. Their starting running back ran for only about four yards to carry. What I think is interesting about the Patriots, even in some of their, their good years, their Super Bowl winning years with Brady, these Patriot teams are historically slow starters in September, and it's really no surprise that this trend continued uh, with a rookie quarterback playing in their first game. I actually really like New England's chances in this division this year. I think last year really was an outlier. I think their struggles had nothing to do with Brady's departure as much as it did. COVID opt-outs, a really strange training camp, those kind of things. So the Patriots back in more of a natural habitat uh, in, in a normal NFL. Uh, they're going to they're gonna challenge the Bills, uh, especially with Buffalo dropping their week one game. So it'll come. I don't think this is, this is uh, indicative of who the Patriots will be. It's going to take them a while to get it figured out. Matt, with the Bills faltering in week one against the Steelers, which is a bit shocking to me, I expected Josh Allen to do better. Do you think this division is more wide open than we expected? Oh, yeah. I think this division is fully up for grabs, whether it's the Dolphins, whether it's the Patriots or the Bills. Um, I think that the Bills showed that they are uh, – there's a blueprint to beat them because their offense last year looked unstoppable. They were so dominant offensively. And the Steelers really came into – was the game in Buffalo or Pittsburgh? Yeah. They came into Buffalo, which is a hostile environment, and really shut Josh Allen up and shut him down for most of the game. Um, I think that division – you know, you could if the Patriots, uh, like uh, Will said, they start slow every year, and so you know they're going to come around come the end of the year. The Dolphins, they still look like they might be struggling on the offense. Their defense looked great. Both defenses on the Patriots and Dolphins look great. Um, the division's really up for grabs, I think. Yeah, I mean, we expected the Dolphins and the Patriots to be kind of neck and neck, but we didn't expect the Bills to to put up a stinker in Week One, and or I mean the the Bills, yeah, the Bills. Uh, so, I mean, I know the Steelers are healthy. So when they're healthy, they're a completely different team. Uh, Big Ben is still there, but... Big Ben is old. Yeah, Big Ben, will he be able to actually carry them into the, the, the playoffs this year? Who knows? I mean, can you carry a team to the playoffs nine yards at a time? I, I really I really couldn't tell you. Um, it's just like a more accelerated... For me, like, Big Ben last year was like if Drew Brees decided to stick around for another two years. <laughs> Um, but, like, last year, 
So just add another year to how like, uh, and this isn't like breeze slander either. I don't <laughs> don't laugh at me. I'm I'm being completely serious. I'm the, sorry, I can't help it. Old man is old. Like that's just ultimately what happens. It doesn't. The, the Tom Brady. Yeah. <laughs> okay, okay, you have to be the equivalent of football Jesus Christ hey, in hey, order to relax, relax. be an outlier of um, an outlier to, to age. But um, ultimately, th- that is going to be the linchpin of that offense. And I really regret picking up Juju Smith-Schuster <laughs> in my fantasy draft at this point because um, I, I, it kind of hit me as I was watching that Bills game. It's like, man, like they won because of a special teams touchdown. Or a, a massive special teams blunder on the Bills' side. That's what made the difference this game. It's a one-score game straight up, and um, the the Steelers did not earn that win on the offensive line. I don't think that team goes far if they actually manage to walk away with the North. They have no reason to walk away with the North. That team, that division is much more competitive than the Steelers can currently produce. Yeah, I don't think anybody's expecting them to, to walk away or even really compete the whole season but maybe actually make the playoffs and, and then who, who knows they're a proud organization they they have a lot of talent still there i believe deontay johnson got hurt that game so they also had a great touchdown my former high school classmate deontay johnson ah yeah. you don't say well speaking of tom brady uh matt stafford is in la now and even before the season started we kind of anticipated the rams to be better without jared goff but after that sunday night game I gotta say, I was really impressed. I was, I'm not gonna say the Bucks are under, under attack completely, but maybe it's closer than we expected. I mean, if it's not them in the West, it's gonna be San Francisco, who played. A, I know their defense, quote unquote, imploded in the second half when that game looked really well out of reach. Uh, but but the Rams, yeah, they looked really good against what's still a good Bears defense. I know the secondary. There's a lot of question marks with the Bears secondary this year. Matt Stafford, though, he's been great his whole career. He's True. been, he's been he's a great been quarterback. As infallible as you can be in a place like Detroit since 2009. <laughs> yeah. Um, if you're like, there are three dudes who have managed to be successful and have Hall of Fame careers in spite of Detroit. And uh, Matt Stafford only had one of those for half of his career. I, I think uh, if Harry Kane was watching Sunday Night Football last night, he would have even more of an urge to get out of... of, of uh, Are we really going to do this? We, were, we weren't even talking about that football. We still have a solid, like, what, 10 minutes of actual football? That wasn't a segue, even though we might touch on some soccer. Sure. No, we got eight minutes, and we still haven't finished talking about Sunday Night Football. I mean, Matt Stafford is what Matt Stafford does. I don't think this means that uh, Jared Goff is any less of a quarterback. Um, but ultimately, that Lions, uh, that Lions uh, team under Dan Campbell is absolutely thrilling. Like I, I had so much fun in that last in that fourth quarter, <laughs> just watching them because they are completely and utterly insane. They they just do so so many things that scratch your head and, and that make you want to scratch your head and go like, what are you doing? This is the first quarter you're going for it on fourth down at your own forty. Like, what are you actually doing? And they'll get away with it and. That I know they didn't win the game, but like they unironically won my heart. I really want that team to succeed, or just absolutely light up the league. And in a, in a for the first time in decades, Detroit has an exciting product to put out on that football field, and I could not be happier for them. As Gary Putnick used to say, "Good teams win, great teams cover." William. If you're a contender in mid, in the middle of the season, towards the end of the season, there is no team I would rather play less than the, the Detroit Lions. <laughs> They're going to come out biting kneecaps, fighting, scratching, clawing <laughs> until the very end, and they're going to take something out of you against every opponent they play. They may only go 4-13, and 13, but they're going to really challenge every team on their schedule. 
I, I fully endorse that take. <laughs> you know, the Lions are always an interesting watch, sometimes for the wrong reasons, but hopefully this year they, they have something better to, to put on, on, on Thanksgiving because it, it really is something I'm not really looking forward to. Is there any week one overreaction you guys have, Matt? Yeah, I wanted to say something about the Rams. I just Watching Matt Stafford in a competent offense and competent coaching with receivers, it made me so happy seeing him succeed because he deserves it more than anyone. He's stuck, in, stuck it out in Detroit, hasn't flip-flopped and jumped, tre- jumped teams like many players do. Um, he found his way to L.A., and now he's reaping the benefits with a stacked team. I, I My overreaction for this Sunday is I, I think the Rams are on uh, pace to or on track to make it to the Super Bowl. Honestly, it's not a little bit overhead. Obviously, an overreaction, <laughs> but with with looking at their offense, how they line up against other teams, I don't see another team that's talent talented uh, matches up with them. Honestly, yeah, I mean the NFC West it looks like the best division once again. The Cardinals beat the Titans in pretty convincing fashion when most people thought it was going to be a tight game. The Niners obviously beat the Lions, but they lost their starting corner. They lost their starting running back. So once again, injuries seem to be biting them at the worst moment. Uh, Trey Lance is still not starting, so I'm not convinced. I'm just kidding. Jimmy Garoppolo is still there, so they, they have a shot. Um, and then the Seahawks, they, they beat the Colts as well in, in pretty convincing fashion. So it's not going to be easy to win the West, but they definitely seem like maybe the, best, the most complete team. But there's still a lot of, a, a lot of ball to, to, be, to be played. Yeah, definitely for sure. It was a really fun week one. I'm glad football's back. Yeah, and kind of on that note, we're going to touch on soccer. <laughs> Hard pivot with CR7's debut at Old Trafford. After a crazy summer of just insanity in soccer, we had the Euros, we had the Copa America, we had Messi leaving Barcelona, but we, we also had last-minute change in Juventus when, when, or when Cristiano Ronaldo decided to pack his bags and leave to England once again to return to the team that... Where, where he broke out a couple couple of years ago, they won 4-1 in pretty convincing fashion. It, it was funny to see him in that shirt because nobody really thought he would go back, but I'm kind of glad he's back there. Uh, I know a lot of English teams are not as much. Do you guys have any? He took one out of LeBron's book, yeah. heading, heading back. He's bringing a title to Manchester United. What, what, what kind of title? Champions League. Champions League. I, I listen, I think Ronaldo might have might be one of the missing pieces for, for Manchester United. I, I don't know if their squad is deep enough to win a trophy in, in either the, the Prem or in the Champions League. You look at some of their counterparts, some of the teams they're going up against, even in their own country, Manchester City, obviously, the A1 example. Chelsea, even Liverpool has got a pretty deep squad. They've got a great first 11, maybe the best first 11 in the world. I'll even go as far to say that, but I don't, I don't know if – Quite yet. They need to bring in some squad depth, I think, to be able to compete on four fronts for a whole season. I think it's really interesting that you say that. I think it's I, – I would also agree. I mean, um, Spurs are the best possible example of having a great first 11 and having nothing else in the tank. The second that you're missing components, as was proved this weekend, everything falls out and you are you're exposed to anybody yeah. when it comes to you know um, pushing your stuff in. Um, I mean, I'm not going to touch on the, the Crystal Palace game at all. We're talking <laughs> about Manchester uh, United here. Um, I think in, in the Premier League, you're absolutely correct. There is no way that you can kind of brute force your way to a um, to a title in any sort of sense. And I, I think that team is built more for Champions League football. They could, yeah, anything. Right. Maybe the best Champions League player ever. So yeah, that's, absolutely. that's a good first start. 
It is a great, great start, and uh, that's not really been the. Uh, I don't know. Well, I, I, that that's I think the the true extent of that team. Uh, let's be honest. I don't think that this team is cut for um, the Premier League run. And, and Ronaldo's at an age where it's like. Is he going to be able to play 90 minutes for, you know, 35-plus games in the league? I can see him being used as kind of like a Gareth Bale plus from last year, yeah. where Gareth Bale, you know, uh, turns up for the last 15 minutes of every game, scores, a, you know, a, a thunderous goal, and then he's and then he's done. Like, the, that's the end of his day. Like, he had the great uh, – he had the, the single best goals per minute um, last year out of anybody, I think in history even. Uh, but that's because they only had him, um, Mourinho, and then um, only had him out for, like, Five minutes at a time. Yeah, and the truth of the matter is, the, the powers that be at Manchester United, the Glazers, Ed Woodward, you know, all the way, all the way down the chain of command, there, they, they kind of need Cristiano Ronaldo to play in those Champions League games. There is a reason that Ronaldo was brought in outside of soccer, and that, that I mean, that, that's fair. I think obviously he's still a great player, but there are reasons outside of just results on the pitch that he was brought in, and they're going to need him on the in the no, biggest games throughout the absolutely, calendar. You're absolutely correct. Um, when uh, Juve brought Ronaldo on, they bought him for like a hundred million. Um, Euros, and they immediately made that back, and then some uh, through the uh, through shirt purchases. It was something that because it's a publicly traded company, they announced in their earnings call. And um, honestly, when you have a player like that, it's going to cause a seismic shift both online with international fans. Um, I mean, on Instagram alone, uh, Juventus lost like five hundred thousand uh, followers on their Instagram page on the first day. Of them losing um, Ronaldo to uh, to the Premier League, Cristiano Ronaldo obviously being one of the all-time greats will will cause a seismic shift in any team that he joins. Even at this stage in his career, he's 36 years old. But speaking about Juve, he came in and, and and obviously there were expectations, and not all of it was his fault. But the team was on track to keep competing in in you know the league and, and even the Champions League. And after his his leave, his departure, it doesn't seem like they're, they're anywhere close to where they were when he, he was there. So I guess the question is now, does Manchester United go with it and, and just make something out of this the next two years and, and hopefully win a trophy? Because Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, I'm sorry, super hard name to pronounce. The Manchester United coach, he's under pressure now. He's got everyone he basically needs except maybe a midfielder, which is obviously an important part. But he's at Old Trafford. He's in his third year, I believe. So time's running. He, he needs to win now. So... If it doesn't pan out, then Manchester United might be at a worse place than when Ronaldo came in. Yeah, for sure. It's going to be a really, really fun season, and I'm glad that we've got people in place here that are going to be willing to talk about soccer. Yeah. Matt, you got any, any uh, thoughts on the Premier League? I mean, if we're looking at any team that ha- has to win now, it's PSG. It's mm. it, you, you can't look at that team and think that's not a team that should be winning uh, the Champions League. For sure. I mean, the Champions League starts tomorrow for those that, that watch soccer and PSG's has to be the odds-on favorites. Obviously, Bayern Munich, Manchester City will have something to say about it. But with that, I think we're going to start closing the show. Thank you so much for tuning in. This was quite an experience for me. <laughs> it was so fun to, to talk with the guys. And, uh, yeah, I want to thank you for Matt, for William, for Brett, uh, for myself. Once again, thank you so much for tuning in. You're listening to WVFS Tallahassee, the voice of Florida State.